Good morning, Parkview. Good morning. Buenos dias, hermanos. ¿Cómo están? We're growing. In, you know, we have Mexicans over there, and the Cubans, and the Dominicans. <laughs> you online, welcome too. It is so good, so, so good to be with you guys and to be in God's presence. So uh, it's a pleasure um, to be with you. And um, if you're new with us this morning, welcome. Uh, you have joined a group of imperfect people. We're learning to live a new life in a new way, and um, hopefully you will have felt welcome. Hopefully you have experienced Jesus in each one of us in the midst of our brokenness. Um, so let's pray and uh, give this time to the Lord. <laughs> Lord, thanks again for your word, and I just pray that uh, you open it up for us, for your glory, in Jesus' name. All right, so today we continue the story of Exodus. Uh, we have gone from God rescuing Moses from his birth, keeping him alive so he will go and uh, rescue the Israelites. Then God sent him over, and then we saw the great signs and wonders that uh, God did in Egypt, the great deliverance taking him through uh, the Red Sea. Then we see him bringing them in the, and dealing with them as they complain to Moses in the desert. And then we are right now in Mount uh, Sinai. And there he is manifesting himself in thunder, in fire. The mountain is shaking, reflecting and representing his holiness. And then he calls Moses up to himself. So he will give him the Ten Commandments and a series of laws so that we can, the people of Israel can have a relationship with him. And then at the end of chapter 23, we see how God uh, sent his angel to lead them to enter into the promised land. And as he tells them to go and gives his angel to go with him, he tells them, do not make a covenant with them. Or their gods. And when we think of covenant, we think of marriage. And here we go. Josh, I keep forgetting. Oh, here we go. <laughs> and uh, in uh, Tim Keller, um, our late dear pastor and New York Times bestseller, in his book, The Minute of Marriage, he wrote the following During the Enlightenment, things begin to shift. The meaning of life came to be seen as the fruit of freedom of the individual to choose the life that most fulfills him or her personally. Instead of finding meaning through self-denial, through giving up one's freedoms and binding oneself to the duties of marriage and family, marriage was redefined as finding emotional and sexual fulfillment and self-actualization. Marriage was seen as a contract between two parties for mutual individual growth and satisfaction. In this view, married persons married for themselves. Not to fulfill responsibilities to God or society, parties should therefore be allowed to conduct their marriage in any way they deem beneficial to them and no obligation to church, tradition, or broader community should be imposed on them. And key phrases here, 
Self-actualization, a contract between two parties for mutual individual growth and satisfaction. To be allowed to conduct their marriage in any way they deem beneficial to them and no obligation should be imposed on them. <laughs> and this is the society that we live in. Me, myself, and I. We don't want responsibilities. We want to find self-satisfaction, self-fulfillment, and freedom from anybody telling us anything what to do. On the other hand, we have that God is a covenant God. He is a God who is transcendent, way beyond what we can even imagine. He's holy, he's loving, he's just, he's wise, he's righteous. And he deals with us not according to contracts. He deals with us according to covenant. And according to the Lexham Bible Dictionary, contracts are limited by the terms of the exchange of property. This is your, that is mine. While covenants involve an exchange of life. I am yours, you are mine which covers a virtually unlimited range of human relations and duties. Contracts are based on profit and self-interest, while covenants call for self-loving loyalty and sacrificial love. And because of our sinful nature, no human being will take the initiative to establish a covenant relationship with God. They will not describe a covenant relationship that will honor God as a supreme being of the whole universe, which he is. And they will not do what it takes to establish a covenant relationship with God. Thankfully, today we're going to see in Exodus 24... That God, our covenant God, he's the one that establishes, he's the one that describes, and he's the one who initiates the covenant relationship with us. So let's pray one more time. Father, you give generously to those who ask. We ask that you would give us understanding that we may keep your word, that you will incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Guide us in the light of your truth, granting us freedom and peace and transform us, Lord, into faithful followers, honoring and glorifying you in all that we do. Confirm to us your promise in Christ that we may love and worship you in the spirit and truth. Amen. So God initiates the covenant. Dios inicia el pacto con nosotros. The Exodus was initiated completely and totally by God. God is the one 
who chose to rescue Moses. And God is to send him to Israel to deliver Israel. And God is the one who, before he told Joseph, uh, Moses to go and deliver his people from Israel, revealed himself to him. When Moses was minding his own business, he wasn't looking for God. He was just doing his own thing. And if we step back and if we look at all of history, we see that God has always been the initiator. He initiated creating us and creating the whole universe so that we will glorify him and enjoy him forever. He took the initiative in creating the plan of redemption through sending a seed through Eve right after Adam and Eve rebelled to him. And he took the initiative in calling Abraham and choosing Jacob and then sending Joseph to Egypt. And now, at the right time and in the right place, God chooses to make a covenant relationship with his Hebrew people. So let's read in verse number 1 of chapter 24. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. So God calls Moses and a group of the elders reflecting and representing the nation of Israel. For what? To come to be with him, to worship him, to be in his presence. So our covenant God initiates, describes, and establishes his covenant so that you and I can have a worshiping relationship with him, can worship well and know him well. We were created to know God. We were designed to be in relationship with him. So it is through covenant that he sets things up so we can know him and worship him well. And as God takes the initiative for our salvation, he also reveals his character to us. He's showing us in his love, his mercy, and how gracious he is. Without his election for us, that is, that before the foundation of the world, he called us to himself. And without his effectual calling, which is that God reveals to his people his amazing love in such a way that we cannot resist when he calls us to repent and to follow him. Without that, none of us will be here this morning seeking to worship him and glorify him. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And thank God, he takes the initiative for our salvation. For the last I knew, no dead person can do anything for themselves. You can kick him, yell at him, pinch him. No response whatsoever. And precisely because we are dead in our trespasses and sins, none of us will be able to describe a covenant to establish a relationship with this holy and transcendent God that will honor him as such. Therefore, he is the one who describes the covenant for us. Dios describe el pacto para nosotros. We read in verses 3, 4, and 7. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Left to our own wisdom, desires, feelings, creativity, we will not be able to describe a covenant that honors him as such. And precisely because of that, in God and his love and tender mercies, he calls Moses and he makes sure that through Moses, he let us know how to have a relationship with him. And as he does that, he's also revealing himself to us. He's describing his character to us. And he's letting us know that he's a God that is not going to leave us in the dark. He's a God that goes out of his way to make sure that we know how to relate with him. And also, he, in doing this, he tells us that he's very clear. He's precise. He's perfect and that he leaves no room for misunderstanding how to rightly relate with him and God didn't just gave us the ten commandments you know he gave us you know and described in very detail all the way from building the tabernacle to day-to-day -day things like how to deal with body effusions in that relationship, he's telling us and he's communicating us even through the whole book of Leviticus. And in Exodus, we saw from chapter 20 to 23 and then from 25 to 30, he is going out of his way to let us know, to make clear that we know how to have a right relationship with him. And in giving us such detailed instructions, he's also letting us know 
that he cares about every detail of our lives. He is the supreme ruler on the, of the universe, and he cares about all of it. In other words, all of life matters to him. All of life is under his supreme rule and lordship. And one specific way that us, as a church, that this applies to us, and I'm going to get a little theological here, <laughs> but it's called the regulative principle of worship. And what that means is God has this revealed himself through his actions and through his covenants in such a way that he's letting us know, I want to be worshipped in a specific way. Not what you think, but what I prescribe. In other words, we believe here in this church you know, that corporate worship needs to be founded upon specific descriptions from the scripture. Because if we're left to our own wisdom, creativity, emotions, and feelings, we're never going to worship him well. Sadly, we see the results of not worshiping him according to his prescriptions when Nadab and Abihu, who in this chapter we see that they were calling to God's presence and they were able to see his glory. And they came and presented strange fire before him that he had not commanded, and they died in the presence of God. Now you may be thinking, <clears throat> I'm not so sure I want to be here. <laughs> this sounds very legalistic. Andres, are you telling me that I need to go back to rules and regulations in order for me to please God? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> uh, do you remember somebody uh, named Jesus and uh, that he gave us a little talk in the Sermon on the Mount? Um, <laughs> let's see what Jesus had to say to us. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, only your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said of those of all, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. In other words, Jesus is not putting aside the law. What Jesus is telling us is from the very beginning, always the motives of our hearts play a role in us seeking to please God. The new covenant that Jesus established in his blood 
did get, get away from the ceremonial law because Jesus fulfilled it. And he did get away with the civic laws because we're not an earthly nation now. We are a spiritual nation. However, he did not get rid of the moral law that is prescribed in the covenant. And also, he did not get rid of the need for our hearts to be focused in pleasing God, in bringing him glory, and in doing things his way, not our way. So God is not asking us to depend on rules and regulations for us to please him. He's asking us to go beyond that. He's asking us to surrender all of our lives to his lordship and to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to keep our hearts focused on seeking to please him, to glorify him, and to do things the way he says to do it and know how we think is best. And why do we need the help of the Holy Spirit? Because all of us, before God saved us, we did things our way. Most of you are not old enough to know. <laughs> I did it my way. <laughs> we did it our way. And on top of that, you know, we had an idea of who God was and how we were to please him. And if that was not enough, we still battle with our sinful nature. So we need the Holy Spirit because left to our own wisdom and understanding and feelings and emotions and creativity, we will never be able to worship God in a way that is pleasing to him. Think about this. The Egyptians had over 2,000 gods. And the world history encyclopedia says, these gods all had names, individual personalities and characteristics. They wore different kinds of clothing, held different objects as sacred, presided over their own domains of influence, and reacted in highly individualistic ways to events. Each deity had their own area of expertise. What this means, the Israelites had an idea of God that had nothing to do who, with whom the true, only, triune God was. So if God in his kindness and mercy would have not chosen to reveal himself to them, to reveal very clearly who he was and how he was to be worshipped, the Israelites, no matter how hard they tried, they would have never been able to have a true relationship with the one true God and to worship him and understand him as we should. Thank God he revealed himself to them. And thank God he described the covenant. God loved them and he loved us too much to leave us in the dark, to leave us to our own wisdom and desires 
and feelings. And that is why he described the covenant. And God has not only given us his covenant, which is all of his word, inerrant and infallible, but also he has given us the Holy Spirit to show us and to guide us to be able to fully understand and know him and worship him in spirit and truth. So God initiates, God describes, and God establishes the covenant. Dios establece su pacto. In other words, he makes the wedding <laughs> happen. <laughs> he doesn't just leave you waiting on the altar, you know. So God is so kind and so amazing that he uses elements and things that the Israelites were familiar with to help him understand what he meant to enter into a relationship with him, to establish a covenant relationship with him. Back in those days, it was very common to have covenants. And archaeologists have found, you know, in that region of the uh, Middle East, you know, ancient um, Near Eastern area, uh, a bunch of secular covenants. And one of the greatest ones is the, the Hittite uh, treaties, uh, which is, you know, one of the nations that Israel took over. And the book of Deuteronomy, the covenant that is there, follows those treaties pretty much in line. So in general, you know, uh, the establishing a covenant included uh, writing the covenant, reading the covenant, uh, making an oath that if, we, those, if you don't fulfill the covenant, <laughs> you were pretty much calling a curse on yourself and doing a ritual you know, to establish that covenant, and then you finish it up with a meal. So let's read verses 4 to 11. To see if you find any uh, similarities on that. Verse 4, 5, I'm sorry. And he sent young men to the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. So we see in this covenant that God made with the nation of Israel and also in the previous covenant, covenant that God had made with Abraham, that blood was involved. God's purpose is to establish and restore a relationship with him. And by using the shedding of blood, 
what he's telling us is that he, it takes, requires all of our lives. Blood represents life. So by the shedding of blood, he's telling us, he's calling us for complete, total surrender to him. And God, who does not change, he established his new covenant, not through the blood of goats and oxen, but through the precious and priceless blood of Jesus. In Matthew, we read, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And just as God required all of our lives in the old covenant, so he does in the new covenant. And we read in Luke, Jesus said, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So, because God initiates, describes, and establishes his covenant with us through the blood of Jesus, we who were alienated from God, strangers from Israel and separated from the covenant promises. Without God and without hope in this world, now in Christ Jesus, we have been brought near through his blood. But God but God took the initiative and opened our spiritual eyes and brought people into our lives to point us to him and gave us the faith to believe and to obey him. But God took away the heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh and then he wrote his covenant in our hearts and gave us his Holy Spirit so we can follow him and obey him with joy and gratitude. But God sent Jesus to establish the new covenant in his blood. So that we can now draw near through his throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And this, because we have a covenant God 
we have the promise that when Jesus comes back, when he comes back, we will be able to be in his presence forever. We will enter our promised land. We will be able to glorify him and enjoy him forever. So what is our response to this covenant God that initiates, describes, and establishes that covenant through the blood of Jesus? Just a joy and gratitude that produces a daily obedience and surrender to his will. And your friend, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with this covenant God, today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can acknowledge that indeed you are without God and without hope in this world. But God sent his son, Jesus, to live the perfect life that you were expected to live and to pay the penalty that your sins deserve. If you believe this, respond to God's call by repenting of your sins, surrendering all of your life to his lordship and following him for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you indeed take the initiative because we're dead. Without you, we can do nothing. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to reveal ourselves to us and that we will be overwhelmed with your love and your tender mercies towards us and out of joy and gratitude, we will indeed follow you all the rest of our lives. May you do this in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.